Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? <clears throat> good. Good. <clears throat> I just have some <coughs> mouth noises to make here. Mm-hmm. Top of the top of the set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the season. It's the mouth noise season. Yeah. Do you drink a lot of water? I uh, I do you know uh, when I was when I was young I couldn't stand water me neither hated it yeah hated it and then uh, somehow somewhere along the line I got I got my sister and my sister in particular is a real water sort of pusher and uh, and somewhere along the line I got I got a taste for it and now I I probably drink uh, a half gallon of it just just every time I walk past the sink I'm I chug a big glass of water. Hmm. And I and I love it. I, I I can't get enough of it. That's pretty much exactly my experience. I I uh, wonder if part of it two things. One, if my palate developed from just wanting a twelve pack of Coke a day. Um, and then the other thing is that as you get older, <laughs> oh, no. wow, that's boy, you're really on a tear. Yeah, go go, go ahead. I'm listening. Mm. <laughs> if, let's see. I think there's are there any we missed just just because of mic placement. What about what about lip smacking? No, we you did sh- that. We covered you that. You should get a, an SM57 on that red leather chair. Uh, oh, put a, put a <laughs> on the chair? Mic yeah, the chair. and then uh, do a Chris Wallet. Get a room mic with a uh, trigger so you get that kind of David Bowie low thing. When it's a real when it's a real dinger. <laughs> Our chairs both make noises. Here's, let me see if I'm going to do mine. Yep. Oh. I have a very... Have you ever seen a photograph of my chair? I'm not sure. <laughs> you'd remember. I, mean, I, I read all the magazines. You'd, re- mm, you'd remember. You'd really, really remember. Yeah. It looks is like it, I have a cat. Is it stained? Um, it's hard to tell. <laughs> At a certain point, it's like, think about like the industrial carpeting you have in parts of a bar hmm. where it becomes one kind of contiguous stain. Yeah. Like one hypnotic stain. Yeah. 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 So the high traffic areas of your chair are, mm. are sort of more stained than the low tra- traffic yeah. areas. Yeah, yeah. I use those uh, those blue mechanics paper towels. Um, this chair, this yeah. chair, f- fell uh, <laughs> kind of fell apart at a certain point, and I fixed it with. Um, I made my own plywood. <laughs> you I, have homemade plywood. Yeah, I took some. I, I took didn't know you. Could, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> well, I didn't either until I did it. But I, I drilled a hole where the where the thing had broken, where the dowel had broken. So I drilled a larger hole, and then I took a bunch of wood chips, at that you know, and like matchsticks and stuff, and I I crunched them all up, and then I I poured a bunch of glue on that, and I made a kind of matchstick and glue um, amalgam, mm-hmm. and then I I puttied it into the hole. Let it dry. You, you get so much then, more accomplished than you give yourself credit for. And then I drilled a drilled a new hole through the glue and through the fake plywood, and then the chair is good as new. I'll tell you what you made, my friend. You have made artisanal particle board. Hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, that's what it is. Artisanal now, particle board. Um, my sense is, based on a conversation we had at your mom's house a few weeks ago, that you are not a fan of... Well, I, I'm going to guess you like plywood for certain things, but don't you have a certain respect for a nice long piece of continuous, contiguous old growth wood? Mm. I, my sense was that you had you have a serious respect for the boards in your mother's house. Mm. Solid wood, long wood, wood, 
Well, <clears throat> you had you had like twenty minutes on this, yeah, about this all is, these all these abominations in your neighborhood made of short, short, pointless wood, and that you had contiguous uh, planks. And yes, yeah, th- this is this is uh, you know this is a component of of what, this is a theme that you and I touch on a lot, which is the the tearing down of a hundred year old thing made out of perfect old growth lumber to replace it with something made out of off-gassing particle board and then posting a sign in the front saying all green construction right it's new green condos and all all the polymers had insurance yeah and nothing about nothing about it is green tearing the tearing the perfectly good house down was not green and manufacturing all the all the chemical products that this house is constructed of wasn't that wasn't green, and then building this new house wasn't green. There's nothing green about it except that they installed an efficient furnace in the new building, or so, or they you know they put uh, they put photovoltaic panels on the roof, and then it's and and people people walk through life going, well, I bought this really green condo, and it's like mm-hmm. you have no idea what was there and what we have lost as a people, what we have lost in terms of our patrimony uh these houses that were you know if you look at if you tear down tear the inside walls out of my mom's house which i have done uh these two by fours are uh, 28 feet long and there's not a knot hole in them there's not even a knot hole they're they're from trees that stood that that they cut the trees that they built my mom's house out of they cut them down from three blocks away and carted them there by horse (laughs) and milled them on a on a sawmill, you know, presumably powered by probably Mexicans. No, there were no Mexicans here then. It was probably the Chinese. It was well, yeah, there were Chinese, but no, I think it was either powered by horse or by wood, but by the by the branches, the high up branches. What you know, could like, be more green and locavore? It's all right there. Everything you need is right there. Yeah, and to tear it down, I personally think is a crime against all humanity. Uh, and then to build a thing, you know, a lot of these places, that term off-gassing mm-hmm. is a construction term uh, that tries to describe how all of these, these, uh, all the particle board and the and the the wall board and most of the products, the, the 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 new carpet, it all after the house is built and after you move in, it sits there and just sort of sort of permeates ga- the, this gas that's. Yeah, I mean any. I mean formaldehyde. The, the ones like yeah, formaldehyde. Also things like uh, I don't know if it's a petroleum thing, but things obviously like plastics and um, plastics. Well, yeah. For example, we buy uh, we buy a, we have a bath mat we like that we've bought uh, three times as it's worn out. And <laughs> you, you wait get, a minute! Wait a minute! What are you going to do when they stop making that bath mat? I'm going to make one out of long wood. It'll be much more uh, Japanese. I don't want to work ping pong. But every time we buy one of these, the same thing happens. I bring it home, mm-hmm. I take it out of the plastic, mm-hmm. and it, it's 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 like a like a giant plastic vulva opening. The entire house is enveloped in this in this smell. And so Ugh. you got things like why would you use why would you use vulva as a <laughs> as as a metaphor? John, it's a plastic vulva. I'm not being normative. <laughs> A plastic vulva. Tell me what a plastic vulva would smell like. It would taste like a 9-volt battery and smell like a bath mat. Let's be honest. <sighs> anyway, my point being, uh, I uh, just for what it's worth, uh, first of all, I, I'd like to come back to this because I completely ag- agree with you. I think the green thing, I, I don't want to get off on one of my jags here, mm-hmm. but I think it depends a lot 
on which micro or macro level you want to look at it yeah. from, you know, I mean, you know, to, just to your point, uh, I mean, I don't know this, maybe I don't have enough information to, to intelligently agree or disagree with you, but I, I agree with you being as unintelligent as I am. Hooray! <laughs> if something like, We can all agree on Longwood. I agree on that too. Well, no, but here's the thing. I, I mean, on the face of it, I, I, everything you're saying makes complete sense to me. And this is why when you, when you pull back the lens just a little bit, you say, well, okay, well, there was also the vehicles that had to have gas oh, yeah. in them to bring Wait, people there to make it. Yeah. And then the, 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 the cheeseburgers, those people in the ate. house that Jack built. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? The house that, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, well, you know, when you go, when you go to someplace like, uh, you go to rural England and you, you, you you go into somebody's house that has a thatched roof and you say, tell me about your house. And they're like, this house was built in 1547. And they show you around and the, the, uh, the, the ceilings in the house are, are about five foot two and you have to duck everywhere you go. And, and, uh, that, everyone in England's a hobbit. Well, they were mm-hmm. certainly. And, uh, and the, no, they, they eat a lot of canned food. Hmm. Go ahead. Please continue. Uh, the floors aren't even, you know, they're, they're ramshackle places. And you go, wow, wow, this house, you know, this house really um, is like, a, it's such a wonderful treasure. And then you think about it and, you, and you're like, oh, this house was just a, this house is just the one that survived. There wasn't anything special about it. Over, over 500 years, all the much better houses than this were all torn down or burned down. Uh, and so this little thing, half the reason it survived probably is that no one cared enough about it to tear it down. No one cared enough about that piece of property or or they just didn't get around to it. The land the land that it ramshackily stood on. Yeah, and so this thing survives and now we now it has a plaque on the door and now we go there and celebrate it. But in fact it is just it's just the um it's just the like the 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 detritus. All the beautiful houses are are gone. And this is the relationship I have with Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon is a beautiful city full of bungalows and old architecture, and the reason that's true is that for the last hundred years, no one cared enough about Portland, Oregon <laughs> to tear anything down there and build something new. You know, it was a, it was a backwater and a, and a shitberg, and you'd go down there and you're like, oh yeah, it's a house, it's a, it's a town full of bungalows, and all of them have the, have moss on the eaves, mm-hmm. and you can tell every single bungalow in Portland has had four people living in it, all of them chain-smoking for 20 years. <laughs> it's you got know, a ye- like a yellow patina inside. Yeah, the entire city of Portland had a yellow patina until until 2002. And who's going to who's going to fund, you know, a, a renovation of Hookertown? If if there wasn't if there wasn't the the people as we talked about in a previous episode, if there aren't the people coming in with the uh, with the Genesis device to to change everything, everything's going to sit there. And it is ironic. It's the same thing happened in San Francisco where these houses that were in neighborhoods people didn't care about, they would get those awful 60s and 70s renovations, but they hadn't done anything. So like all the houses the hippies lived in and half half ruined uh, superficially in in the 60s and 70s are now really expensive houses. You, you want to try and buy a house along the panhandle. And that is a oh, lot of dough because it. yeah. it's a it's a gorgeous Victorian that was on the west side of the earthquake. You right, know, made right. it out, and uh, and 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 that's a funny thing about San Francisco is that you know, and now of course today it's it's ludicrous. It, it, if you want to do anything to your house, there's a lot of rules. Like if you have to maintain the bay windows, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of no, uh, bay windows will sag. 
Well, I just, I see those bay windows, those beautiful ones actually in like the Western edition, uh, in particular. And I see those beautiful curved pieces of glass and I just think, God, it must be so costly when you have to, you know, replace curved glass in a window. Yeah, it's insane. Well, what happened here in Seattle was that we had the World's Fair in 1963 and 64, where they built the Space Needle and they tore down um, a a big, in order to build kind of the Seattle Center, they tore down a, a ramshackle neighborhood of flop houses and stuff to build that. But uh, that wasn't that great of a loss. But what happened was that was exactly the era. That was kind of the the, the peak era of that sort of modernist two, three-story flat-roofed apartment building where the walkway was, the, the hallways were outside. You know, it's the motel architecture. And what, what Seattle had was they, we built this World's Fair and people were going to come from around the world for a whole year. We were going to have a million people a day here to see the Seattle Center. And so there was this sweeping redevelopment of the city where people went into all those Victorian neighborhoods and they said, well, here, this old house full of, you know, uh, full of transients, even though it has nine bedrooms, we're going to tear this down and we're going to build a kind of motel style apartment building that will house these visitors from out of state. And then after those people go, it'll be a, it'll be an apartment building. Won't that be nice? We'll have, we'll, we'll have replaced that dilapidated old house with a modern apartment building. And so throughout the city, in the most interesting neighborhoods we have, you'll see Victorian house, Victorian house, six, ni- 1963-64 motel style apartment building just sandwiched in between them and now 40 years later when a developer goes into that neighborhood and says which one of these three things am i going to buy and tear down they invariably choose the victorian still you know because who's going to tear down a nine unit apartment building that right. you know they're still making money off of that and so we still so Seattle looks a lot worse than Portland, I have to admit, because you walk down the street and you're just like, there's no plan here. There's no, nothing is governing our development except tear the thing down. And you, uh, obviously you cannot count on the tastes of the people who own that property to have any interest in integrating um, how that place looks or works. You cannot count on that. Yeah, yeah. I, and this brings us straight back to, I think, one of our greatest threads, which, which again, this is for, for new listeners. Something you acquainted me with a long <laughs> time ago. <laughs> for our new listeners. Is that... Our John, old listeners are like, mm-hmm, architectural preservation. Got it! Got yeah. it! Get on, get, when are you going to talk about Super Train again? The, um... <laughs> the, <laughs> the, um... You, we had a conversation one time. It wasn't actually that long ago. It was before the program, but you, uh, before this program started. But you, uh, you were telling me about how you can learn so much from a city. Um, you know, you're a man who doesn't pick up a map to go to go look around, right? You, you, but you can learn a lot just from looking at the elevations in the city. Where is the waterway? Oh, this is where they put the railroad tracks. That explains why there are the kinds of things around here that would be good for railroad industries and the people who work there. Here's the waterways. That's why they probably stopped here. There's a reason Pittsburgh is where it is. Um, in the case of San Francisco, for example, 
when they um, added the uh, the streetcars in whatever year that was, that was the first time that you could live in the highly de- – well, that you could live comfortably in the highly de- desirable neighborhoods that are at the top of a very steep incline because suddenly – and you know these are the days before you would just zip down to the Safeway to, to pick up your groceries. Um, so having something like you know what we have left today are the cable cars, uh, which are very silly and not all that useful. But back then, that was a revelation. And, and, and so you can tell, for example, generally living near the water – in most places, you know, if it's like a nice water is more expensive, living higher rather than lower is a nice place to live. And so, hey, hey, why is it that the tornadoes always take out all the mobile homes? Well, because it's in the most shitty, low-lying areas where no one wanted to live yeah. that floods easily. So, tornado, tornado alley. Yeah. And I mean, I think what's funny is like that, that is, you know, even with the, uh, the internet economy, I think that stuff still means a lot, yeah. you know, and, and to just, I don't know. I, keep call, I always come back to Tallahassee, where, where I lived for 10 years. And uh, Florida State University, the old buildings there are so beautiful. Yeah, they are. The old, and, and, but they all are – you can tell when the place was initially built because there's beautiful, classy – like I don't know what the style of architecture is, but I don't know the name for it. But it was in the 1800s, I think, and early 1900s. So there was a burst of money at that time, and they built the Women's College of Florida or whatever it was called. And then you can just – Tell there were bursts of influxes of money, probably old people dying, wanting their name on something. And there's this hodgepodge of different buildings that went up in the 50s through the 80s. Right. All and of them science buildings. All of, <laughs> <laughs> all of them, like, wildly different with only the most superficial nod toward having any kind of continuity with how the rest of the place looks. And and some of them have that. I, I, I'm trying to figure out if I want to blame this one guy, uh, Corbusier, mm-hmm. the guy who basically invented square cement buildings mm-hmm. and, and, and made, made every, you know, mall and apartment building and skyscraper look the same. John Flansburg is so mad right now. Why? He loves these things. Well, he's just going to, he'll probably yell at us for a thousand reasons about Talking about Caboussier, but oh, is he a Corbu fan? <laughs> Who knows? Okay, <laughs> but but you know, I, I, you know, it's like the Bart Station, for example. Every time I go to the Bart Station, I feel like it looks like something from Planet of the Apes. Yeah, Logan's Run. Logan's Run. Yeah, yeah, but everything, you know. And I'm sorry, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but but there was a funny confluence of in the 1960s in particular. I am pulling this completely out of my ass. Mm-hmm. There was so much money for things like education and buildings, so much more by the late 60s than there had been. Am I, am I, is that correct to say that there was a lot of new building and there were obviously, you know, after the GI Bill, you had people who wanted to go to college and then their kids wanted to go to college. There was all of this building, and there's this like uh, pseudo perfect storm of money. Wanting the desire to build a lot quickly and cheaply, and the influence of these square concrete buildings that are now everywhere. Well, the square concrete buildings after the war were were honestly thought there was a moral component to them in people's imaginations. Like these were clean, they were open, they were not these, you know, stick and bone little rat holes that uh of you know victorian houses that at that time were 60 years old and full of dust and mice you know these were this was a these buildings represented to people at the time mm-hmm. the future we we had fought a war and we were we were going to build a new world i mean lo- they were clean they were clean and they were modern and they did not look like the kinds of 
locations that you would see that had been bombed recently. Yeah, and, these were exciting, like American Pan, buildings, Pan Am airport terminal terminals, and like exciting places for people. And I mean, my mom talks about it all the time, like the idea that you would have a house where all the bedrooms were on the same floor as the living room and the kitchen mm-hmm. was a radical notion and a very exciting one where you would open a sliding glass door and step right from your living room into the garden without there being a stair step. You know, all these designs that we think of as mid-century modern and and um, and kind of, you know, like tract houses, to their eye, all these little details were were incredible innovations and incredible, like, almost, I mean, definitely, like, moral technologies. This is, this is the way people should live. We now have the technology to live with ease in these custom homes. And, it's, um, and we're never going back to, this, to, to the bay windows with the curved glass and they, they certainly the don't look. They don't look very space age. At, at a time when that kind of modernity and the kind of what, what they used to call populux um, style w- was coming in, if you were going to go out and you were Mike Brady and wanted, and wanted a, were an architect that wanted a cool looking you know house, you know you weren't going to make it in the Chicago style, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> That'd be awesome. I would love to live in a Chicago style house. Um, but, but you know, you look around. You look around your city and you learn. You can see this. You can see people's moral tastes reflected in the in the physicality of your town in a way that doesn't really require that much imagination. Like mm-hmm. you just have to see it. You just have to ch- turn your eyes that way. Like, Seattle has a, a neighborhood called Wallingford, which is perched on a on a long, broad, sloping hill that overlooks Lake Union, which is the lake at the very heart of the city. And then across Lake Union, there's a panoramic view of downtown Queen Anne Hill and and Capitol Hill. So it's this it's this beautiful neighborhood of bungalows on this wide, broad, sloping hill overlooking a lake and the rest of the city. But when you go there, you realize very quickly that the streets are laid out wrong. The streets are a hundred percent wrong they are laid out so that the bungalows go so the long avenues actually go up and down the hill right the long avenues are pointed at the view and the houses there are there are 50,000 houses in this neighborhood and almost none of them have a view of this lake and this panorama of the city they huh. they look on each other's backyards and in order to get in order to get the view you either have to go stand on the roof or you have to go out into the middle of the street and look down the hill and for the longest and so when you're in wallingford there's something about it that just kind of feels wrong you're conscious of the city being right there and of this lake and you know every night these incredible sunsets but the neighborhood just kind of looks at itself Mm. and then you realize that at the foot of that hill is a thing we call Gasworks Park, which is this this gem in the crown of the city, this beautiful park with an old gasworks where they used to make, they used to process natural gas there. And you realize when they built this neighborhood of Wallingford, that view 
down on the lake would have been a view over a chemical plant <laughs> into a into a lake that was full of steamships all emptying their bilges at sunset. You know, there was nothing about that view. That that view was something that whoever was developing that neighborhood, that view was something they wanted to conceal. Mm-hmm. Because when the wind changed direction, all of Wallingford was coated with a layer of chemical ash. And so for the rest of eternity in Seattle, like we've cleaned up the city. That that view right now is a is a ten trillion dollar view. But that neighborhood is always going to be pointed the wrong direction. Because at the time, a view didn't matter to people. What mattered was, you know, that you turn your back to the chemical plant and you know that's so whenever i'm over there i'm always like kind of haunted by the haunted by the century i guess so that the things the things that people were interested in that people could afford that people cared about that people live with end up having an impact long beyond the time that decision was made yeah forever and ever i mean they're where they're redeveloping london all the time and a lot of you know if you tear something down in the center of london uh that was there for 700 years to build something new in my opinion you'd better really have a lot of faith that the thing you're building now is going to is better than something that survived 700 years um and that isn't all you know i don't think people think that way i don't i don't um I don't remember the details of this, so forgive me if I get some of this wrong, but I, I think it might have even been out before the earthquake here. Um, I think – all I know is at some point, somebody – I don't think it was Olmsted, but some, somebody had come up with a plan for the city um, as it grew that was going to be vastly different from what they'd come up with. Because it, the first thing that you notice in San Francisco that doesn't seem really stupid from the air – but seems real stupid on the ground mm-hmm. is what you described, which is there's there's no reason that California Street needs to be that steep. There's no there's no real you know on the face of it like it's crazy to build a street straight <clears throat> if, if that straight means up going the side straight of a, a up the side of a hill. Yeah, <clears throat> and my sense is uh, if I remember correctly that there was a plan, especially for the uh, western neighborhoods like where I live. Well, not, not where I lived was was a was basically just you know. Um, it, there was not a lot out here. I think there was a nursing school and maybe an abattoir. There was not a lot in my neighborhood. It was just sand. Was and sand dust. dunes, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. some wonderful photos of my neighborhood. We're looking down from, um, you know, kind of the top of the hill on what's like 19th Avenue now where there was, I think there was chicken farms was the main thing out here. And Hey, I live in a chicken farm. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing, hey, chicken farms. Heritage chickens. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, but, but some, some, uh, some, some dude or dudes have come up with a plan of saying, hey, why don't we build these new roads in a way that goes around these hills in a way that's a little more humane contours with the with the ground and i want to say that it was the earthquake in particular that they i guess they needed to rebuild quickly i'm talking out of my ass again but but the point the point of the story is that now today you know you can go out and buy a a bike and walking map of san francisco that's fascinating i don't know if you've seen this but Hmm. I, i know you enjoy a map but there's a great you go and pick these up anywhere and it'll show you the city right a regular old road map of the city but every um, block between any two intersections anywhere in San Francisco gets uh, it's like the Jesus seminar of cart- cartography. It shows you four different colors 
to show you how steep the hill is just between those two intersections oh, on my block. Cool. You can go and see. I'm on the, I think I'm on like the second or third. Like you get a light pink, you get a darker a pink, a light red, and a dark red. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. so this is so, if you're on a bike, luckily the bike routes that exist now, you know, take advantage of the, for example, 20th Avenue. You can is, zigzag, you're saying. Following. You can tack, yeah. But yeah. for example, 20th Avenue is the longest contiguous north south route in my part of town that has the least hill pound for pound you've been on my street i mean i'm out of breath when i walk from my office up a hill in three minutes yeah it's, steep it, hill very 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 steep but you know it, it is it's kind of funny how you know you describe with london for example how you know who knows this might have been a bad place to have a house because this is where people threw their chamber pots out the window mm. You know what I mean, and then yeah. and then the fullness of time that that, that changes. So well, you, you know, all it takes all it, oh, for five over the course of five hundred years, all it takes is a few people who live long lives and live in the same house their whole lives to affect the course of development. Right there's that house here in Seattle where the the um, the property developers had. Uh, they bought the entire block except for this one one bedroom bungalow literally like the smallest house you could you could possibly build there was just this one bungalow left on an enormous block in Ballard and the developers wanted to build a super building that had a whole foods in it and i'm <laughs> sure it was going to be very green oh no it had a uh, it had a trader joe's in it and and, and it was going to be <laughs> green construction and full of architects offices and this one little bungalow was owned by a little old lady and her husband had built it and she, and died many years ago and she still lived in this one bedroom place and she wouldn't sell and they offered her a million dollars and she wouldn't sell and so they built their massive Trader Joe's architect building around her house and her house is still there <laughs> like, like like an up they they, yeah. they they built an entire thing around this little yeah, house. Yeah, it's around this little house. the The building that they the new building that they built is four or five stories tall, and this little teeny house sits in basically a canyon that is three feet wide on either side and three feet behind. Uh, it, it's basically like an air shaft where this house is, and um, she just wouldn't. You know, she wouldn't sell them. They said, fuck you. And the story is more hilarious because it wasn't a year or two later that she finally died of old age. And she willed her house to one of the construction dudes who brought her a sandwich every day. Turns out. Yeah. That's awesome. So, but, but if you talk about someplace in England, you know, all it, all it took was a family to, to, to keep that house in their own hands for a couple hundred years and, you know, kind of pass it down. A few people to live, live long lives and live in this one place. And all of a sudden, this, this house has been protected from development just by the fact that either the family wa- uh, was not up- upwardly mobile enough to ever leave it or just sort of tradition bound. And now this thing survives and we're like, wow, it's amazing. How did this thing make it all these years? And it's like, well, actually, 500 years is just... What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Eight generations. I mean, that's not that's not outrageous uh, to think that that 
every once in a while a house is actually passed down that many times? Well, you know, in, in Florida, that's, that's several lifetimes. You know, there was, I, the thing that always strikes me is, and this is just my own heuristic, but it seems to me that the more, con, not modern, the more contemporary you want to make a new building look, the more likely it is that it will look extremely uncontemporary in 10 to 20 years. Not even, not even four years. Well, I, mean, I could walk yeah, around yeah, yeah. and be like, yeah, I, that building was built in 2004. I recognize the shade of mauve uh, vinyl siding. You know, like buildings now are dated instantly. Yeah, I, I th- I'm, I'm, I'm feeling uh, funny because I think we talked about this a long time ago. Oh, um, awesome. But, uh, but I think we, yeah, I know we talked about this because of the wet cellos. That oh, you're, uh, feeling, you're feeling funny though because you have a funny feeling. I do have a funny feeling. The Moss Building at uh, Madison. I'll, oh, yeah. send, I'll send you the link for this. We, I know we talked about this once before. This uh, example of brutalist architecture, yeah. where the first floor of the building um, has like a ramp, so that they can like b- basically you know turn the hose on uh, on students <laughs> that are trying to rush the building. Yeah, the rioters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, it's it's just so horrible. <laughs> we talked about this, but it's so horribly designed and constructed. Where the music department, just to reiterate, the music department is in the basement where everything is is wilting. So, you know, it's... But here's another one I remember is in the uh, mid-'80s. I guess there was... You know, it's one of the things, like, you know how like, what they say when they open a Starbucks, turns out that that Starbucks makes a lot of money and the other Starbucks don't necessarily make less money? It's this really, really strange phenomenon, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds like a little bit like a pyramid scheme to me, but that's how it was in Florida in the mid-'80s. Early to mid-'80s, there was a sudden influx of money for new construction. I think it probably had to do with financing, a certain kind of attractive financing, but suddenly people were putting up strip malls where there just didn't need to be another strip mall. Um, it just, it, it was, it was unnecessary. And then all these places, suddenly everything had an awning yeah. and or an atrium. Well, this is this economic alchemy that people talk about when they talk about job creation and they talk about lowering the taxes and trickle down economics and all this, you know, you, you create what in conservative thinking is this, this sort of a ideal magical set of circumstances where the business climate is friendly for to development and all of a sudden it's like a genesis bomb of capitalism <laughs> and these you know these economically stagnant areas become economically vibrant and that is that is the you know that is the the whole truth of of conservatism or the magical thinking of it it's just like look at what happened but that mentality does not take any kind of super long view on development and they'll point to your neighborhood in florida and say you know development swept into this area and transformed it the tax base was suddenly elevated everybody was making more money the city was making more money this is what happens when you lower regulation and you reduce taxes, and you make this, you make a place. But what they don't factor in, and what is completely irrelevant to their thinking, is what is in there. What is that exactly? You know, it's nail salons and it's um, you know temporary businesses. It's a new Starbucks across the street from the old Starbucks, and somehow they're both making money. It is this kind of like magical place where economics is. Where you know where capitalism is happening, but 
is that area improving people's lives? Really? Mm -hmm. 20 years from now, is that area still going to be economically vibrant? Really? Is there any reason for it to be there? You know, when you look at the land and you say, oh, there used to be a stream hill, a stream here, and there, that, and then so there was a mill here, and that's why this street is called Mill Street, and that's why this neighborhood is called Milltown, and I see why development happened here, and I see why these are warehouses instead of homes, and I, you know, and I see like, and then it fell on hard times when the mill closed because there was a, there was new milling technology that was happening somewhere else. They didn't need a running stream, you know, et cetera. You see, you see development through the lens of history, but then you go out into the into the flats where it's like they built a mall here because. Property was cheap, and taxes were low. Mm. And again, creating certain conditions. The conditions were 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 right for somebody who's smart to take advantage of all these seemingly unrelated things to make something nobody necessarily needed, but was good for them. Right, but but as you say, conditions are in in a in a way analogous to like, oh, there used to be a river here, so they built a mill. Oh, this is flat, swampy land that they could fill easily, and so they built a mall. Like there there mm-hmm. there is a there is a continuity, but but in the in the same way, like that land, that, that there's another way of looking at it, which was that was swampy, worthless land before, and it's swampy, worthless land now. Nobody <laughs> is going to go there. Just that it's got an orange Julius now. Yeah, it has. You've built a strip mall on it, but it is a kind of it is a false paradigm uh, of economics where where money sweeps in and transforms a neighborhood, and then. Uh, economists move on in their thinking and they're like, let's go somewhere else and have capitalism transform an area. But what they've left behind is this thing that is going to percolate along for a few years. And then the lack of reason for it to be there, the the lack of soul is going to manifest itself and, and all the low taxes in the world aren't going to motivate people to go there because there's no, because it's a false thing. It's a, um, you know, it's a, it's an Orlando. And I mean, people are still going to Orlando, <laughs> but you know, is or is Orlando is or I mean, and maybe Orlando will be there in 500 years, but be- it's also, there's also a myopia. It, it seems to me, and this is, this is true of people all over the spectrum politically, but you know, there's it's it's a funny uh, idea of cause and effect where you can say something that is accurate. I won't even say true. You can say something that's accurate, which is you can say, you know, this sector of the economy has created the greatest percentage of jobs in the last uh, 15 years. And you could say something that anybody could, you could look at the actual untampered data and say that is absolutely true. And yet make a decision based on that, that will have absolutely, there's absolutely no guarantee, let alone logic that making a decision based on that will yield the same results. Specifically, you could say, for example, you know, small businesses have created the greatest number of jobs over the last 15 years. Okay. So logically then, if you did the syllogism, if we give lots of money, tax breaks or incentives 
to small business, then lots more jobs should happen. And I just think that's not how that works. I'm not saying don't give money to people, but I'm saying it's such a simplistic view of things. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to take a super train to help people understand how this stuff needs to be integrated. But, but my sense is when you give anybody money, they will try to spend it on things that benefit them. They're not interested in your conclusions about why that money was a good idea. Money, the liquidity of money is what allows people to do anything with it. They could, they could spend that on, uh, you know, on, on rim jobs and, uh, Dr. Pepper, you know, yeah, we're not talking about no- Jason Finn here. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know he was a Dr. Pepper man. <laughs> well, but that, uh, as you say, I mean, does that, well, first of all, does that, I mean, does, does that make any sense when you talk about, I don't want to get into the, the politics of this, but I think this is at a, at a higher level, this is a, a really, really big problem. Um, unless you're going to do something as sweeping as the New Deal, where we basically all agree there are some great things that were, will be built, and there's other things where we just need to get money to people and get them back to work uh, in a way that will make them more dignified and part of the body politic again. And we'll keep the unions from revolting. <laughs> Don't you think? I, I feel like the, you know, we have demonized big government in people's minds so much because, the, the, because what big government represents to people is that some bureaucrat is going to tell you that you have to hire people of a race that you don't admire. You know, like big government to most people in America is a, is a simple one-to-one like you're taking my tax dollars and then telling me that my kids have to go to school in the worst school in town in order to make up for some disadvantage that minority kids have or, or, or on know, a more practical level you have to go hire people whether it's uh, of any quality where people of that particular quality that you want to give jobs to there's just simply a not not enough people with that genetic component that are mm. doing what we do we want you to we want you to hire more um physics experts and they should be um they should be black women or they should well first of all let's look at how many black women are physicists right now because well, that might be a different problem to solve yeah yeah but it is that social engineering component however it manifests itself that freaks people out that that big government particularly in the hands of liberals for the last 50 years has engaged in a kind of social engineering experiment nationwide in a thousand different ways mm-hmm. and that is the thing that appalls people in Basically, anywhere outside of San Francisco, New York, L.A., Chicago, and Seattle. Um, And leaving aside whether that social engineering experiment has merit or is successful, what has has been, you know, the the baby that's been tossed tossed out with the the bathwater there is the idea that there would be any organizing principle to the way we approach uh, uh, the development of America, and you know, we built the interstate highway system, hmm. in an, uh, and it was Eisenhower that did it, in an absolutely socialistic fashion. You know, Eisenhower said we are going to use eminent domain to go to all of the states in the nation and just take away land from people, and employ thousands and thousands of people well these 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 can't be super highways if we take that san francisco the, the, in other words if these curve too much they're they're not even going to be highways let alone yeah, yeah, super highways gonna, well although when they were building the interstate highways they found the the uh, pennsylvania turnpike or the ohio turnpike one of the two one of the first ones they built they built it too straight huh and people that was just straight for 200 miles 
and people fell asleep and drove their cars off the road. Turns out. And that so, is good. Yeah, as they were developing the interstate highway system, they realized that they had to manufacture big sweeping curves in the roads where there's no reason for it in order to keep people's attention hmm. enough that they don't crash. So that's when you drive the highways, it's very rare, except in places like Montana or Texas, it's very rare that you'll see just straight interrupt, uninterrupted right. straight for, for hundreds of miles. You know, it, it, um, it doesn't happen because they built, they engineered it to, to kind of wend its way. But anyway, so, so what you were talking about, which is that if you say building, like the builders, are, uh, that is a, a booming sector of the economy, mm-hmm. and we're not going to regulate it because government regulation is bad, you get places like all of Florida and Nevada <laughs> where... They build five houses for every person in the town. And it's because every one of these builders acting independently says, I got to get on this train. And there's nobody at the government level approving business permits, approving building permits, who's saying, hold on, do we need 600 new McMansions in this area? Is there demand for it? Is there, can this town support it? Everybody's just like, well, government's got to get out of the way because here we come, small business owners, you know, small business owners have the moral imperative and there's no, you know, and this is the thing that, that terrifies libertarians is they imagine some, some Wizard of Oz bureaucrat sitting behind a curtain approving or not approving their building permits to put a new bunker on their 25 acres and they feel like that is that is government <laughs> intrusion that right. is that is police statism but if you don't have somebody sitting there with a rubber stamp saying i'm not approving any more building permits for this part of the town because because i'm the only person in a position to see that we have too many houses right now being built like we need to put the brakes on this then you get these you get this development that just goes just wipes up the side of a mountain and you've got these houses sitting up there and, and any dummy can look at it and go, no one's ever going to live there. Like, or, no or you, one get is- the, you get the epilogue uh, in Florida where I live. So, so I was living in that area in the mid-80s. When I came back after college, when the economy was in the shitter, guess what you had? You had a bunch of uncompleted strip malls. Mm-hmm. You, had, you had that one mall that used Laser to be hanging tag. on. <clears throat> yeah. What is it? As a Chris Rock says, it's all like baby clothes, you know, and greeting cards or whatever. It's, but it's true. Like that one mall that was barely hanging on is gone. And now yeah. it's, you know, eventually I think everything, when, when things, when you start seeing more farmers markets and, and flea markets in places that used to be retail stores, I think that's a pretty good sign that, that something went a little off. Yeah. And the solution in most cases, the, 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 um, the rah-rah capitalist solution to that is to go build another strip mall in a newer neighborhood. You know, it is not to repurpose that old strip mall that's now full of RC modeler stores. Um, <laughs> you know, it is not to tear down the shitty motel-style apartment building and build build something new there rather than tear down the, the Victorian. You know, the solution is always... Go build another one somewhere else, and try and you know try and light the gasoline over there, so it's going to burn 
real hot and we're going to think we're making money. We're generating money over there. And there's just, there's no collective memory of all these, of this trail of strip malls. It's like the, it's like the islands of Hawaii. If you look at Hawaii, the reason it looks like a, like a dragon's tail is that there's a hot spot under the ocean and over the course of millennia, you know, the, the way the shifting crusts under the ocean have moved, they have, they have moved along this hot spot, and the hot spot keeps producing islands, and then the islands move on the crust hmm. in the wake of this burning, you know, this, this burning hole. And that's I did, true. I did not know this is all new to me. Yeah, that's true of economic development too. The 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 burning hole keeps moving and in its wake are these nail salons and RC modeling stores that used to be little boutiques and Starbucks's or whatever the Starbucks equivalent 40 years ago was, which was not Orange Julius. It was stuff you mean stuff that uh you thought 40 years ago the stuff that would pop up? Yeah, what what was what was a really nice what was uh, it? Photo, nice photo, photo mats? Mm, photo places. A little Italian restaurant, like homestyle Italian. You mean inside restaurant? of like an old, old mall? Or yeah. In, yeah. yeah, inside of an old like mall that fronted a highway. Right. I think, well, I'm thinking an Italian get, restaurant get, like, where you walk in and there was a little fountain in the, in the <sighs> lobby. Right. Where, where, where kind of a cherub... Had a, had some water coming out of his penis. It's, it's I, you know, there's probably so many senior senior theses about this that I'll never read. But I have to admit, I I, I am really fascinated by what happens to a mall in particular as it goes down because there's always there's always these you know. Okay, so in Cincinnati we had Northgate Mall, and Northgate Mall was probably not the first, but it was one of the first like enclosed malls in the United States, as far Seattle as I know. Also has a Northgate Mall. Interesting. Do you have a Westfield Mall? We do have a Westfield Mall. I think... We have a Southgate Mall. We had a a Southgate in... uh, We had a a South Center. I'm sorry, South Center. But, you know, it starts out and everything's glitzy. And I remember as a kid... Do you remember this? You go to the mall as a kid and they had fountains that worked inside the mountain. Yeah. Inside inside the mountain. Inside the the mall. Uh, But then also they would have car shows and van shows. And Clearwater Mall in Clearwater, Florida, I remember at one point was the... My grandfather knew this exactly, including the asterisks. But it was the single largest mall under one roof in the United uh-huh. States. And uh-huh. it was a huge two-story mall before these things were had really caught on. Yeah. But, you know, I remember going there, and there's a custom van show. And I remember seeing one called The Dreamweaver, where the guy played oh. Dreamweaver on repeat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember the Pinto wagon that had a, that had a little circular window in the like back a, a bubble la, window a bubble window a la a, a la dreamweaver van no and, and the the you would you'd open the tailgate on this pinto wagon and the inside of the wagon was all plush carpet this and, was a uh, thing these shows and, and i remember up. so yeah. sexy and, and i remember one time they had a, a thing about stuff from the future they had a house of the future that looked like a ufo and then then it starts sliding down you know and pretty soon you got a where, where there used to be like uh shilatos or mcalpins now you've got like a pantry pride that's yeah, one pantry you start pride. Getting... oh that's when you know it's happening <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's funny look at our mall our mall i think is whistling past the graveyard right now we are you know there's i don't think you've ever been there but there's the mall like where the apple store is about almost exactly a mile south of where we live yeah and and it used to be you'd walk through there and see how many places were empty first of all i don't understand how you can have like 40 shoe stores in a mall i still don't understand that but i guess 
there must be a reason that they stay alive. But suddenly there's more places like Hot Topic. There's mm-hmm. more places like these high volume, younger people kind of places. There's tons of phone kiosks. And, but you know what they do now is when a place is empty, remember how it used to be? They would just have like, like a big boarded up thing. Yeah. And then the boarded up thing becomes something where they like drew giant people on it. That's right. A big mural. Or they draw, they, they'd say this space available. Well, now the people carrying shopping bags. Now they, they light it up and kind of make it look like it's a store. And they, 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 you know, the thing is, if you look twice at it, you'd realize that it's, it's, it's like staging a model home. Really? It's a dummy store? It's not, if you look at it, obviously you can't walk in, but I think they're trying to avoid the missing teeth that those kinds of places create in a mall. Cause I'm going to bet you for a middle-aged person walking into a mall with a lot of stores that aren't there. You know what I mean? It feels yeah. like it feels like urban or it feels like suburban retail blight. Sure. Like it seems like the warriors. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Come out and play. <laughs> um, I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but um, you know, but but you know that that, that what you're describing also though is like you know to get into all the infrastructure of what it takes to to do any of those things, and like you know, are we going to have the capacity? I'm guessing for things like you know, go garbage and water and public transit and stoplights and all the kinds of things. We had a a friend in uh, when I was when I was uh, in junior high who was the county administrator. Administrator. Yeah. I don't think he was a rock and roll county administrator, but he was a county administrator for Pasco County. And he would uh, just out of nowhere sometimes he would drop these fascinating facts. And he and you know I was saying one day I was helping him help, helping uh, him split some um, logs I think for you know four dollars <laughs> an hour. <laughs> that's that's what you call it yeah. in Florida. Did you, did you grow up in Indiana in 1850? <laughs> Illinois, <laughs> and. Um, I, I grew up in a formaldehyde house, uh-huh. but I said something about, yeah, you know, it's really crazy over there by Southgate Mall. It's really nuts. You know, there should be a stoplight there. Said, what can you do about that, Gallagher? Can you get a uh, – John Gallagher, can you get a uh, stoplight over there? And he said, do you know what? I think what he said was, do you know what it costs to put in a stop sign somewhere? Yeah. And I forget. I think the stoplight in 1980, 1980 – I think he said any stoplight starts at $40,000. Yeah. Um, which I'm, I don't know if I'm remembering that right, but what I do remember is when he told me what it cost to put in a stoplight or a stop sign was like over a thousand dollars or something. But it was one of those things where it was a real wake up call to me because I just always assumed that there was a warehouse somewhere full of entirely modern stoplights. And all you got to do is send a couple guys over in there and put it up. Yeah, just send a couple guys that over. That changes everything. If you're yeah. doing that on US 19 and you put in a new stoplight with a with a with a, with a uh, green arrow and stuff, that changes so many oh, things. Oh yeah, butterfly effect. Well, absolutely. Right now, they're building a new subway line that goes to Chinatown, and Stockton Street is like upside down. It's right. it's completely upside down. And I was trying to explain to my daughter, who's who just mainly wanted to go to the Disney store and have me shut up, the the, the knock on effect of of closing a street for four years, like what that's going to mean to the economy for the Ben, um, for the was not Ben Davis, Ben uh, what's the shirt store, Ben. Ben Ben Gurian, David Ben Gurian store. <laughs> Dicky Ben Ben <laughs> Ben Her Alamein. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, that the the thing about local government, you know, city government, county government. These guys are trying to balance all these factors. All these things are happening, and we interact with their decisions mostly on the level of why is this street closed? Why is there not a blank here you know why is there not a stop sign at this intersection mm-hmm. and why um why is there never a cop when i can find one you know they, these and and every once in a while our garbage doesn't get picked up and we're like goddamn city hall 
But these people who are working in local governments are trying to, you know, trying to put out fires, but also trying to trying to envision the big picture of the development of their region. Mm-hmm. And this argument that we're having as a country, this big government versus, you know, capitalism argument, like, it, it fundamentally doesn't interest me because it's fundamentally not the art, it's not, we're it's not like talking the, about the wrong thing. argument. It's the wrong argument. Like, at a certain point, unless you are an apocalyptic thinker who believes that the day that you die, the world stops existing... And I think a lot of people live this way. That's a really good point. I, you know, there are a lot that's of people such who, a sad way to put it, but I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, they they either because they think they're going to heaven or because they just have never thought beyond themselves. But a lot of people just are like, "What are you talking about? A hundred years from now, there is no such thing. I'm not going to be here. So why would it matter?" Um, but without that kind of thinking. And that kind of thinking is not inherently, it's, there's nothing intrinsically hostile to capitalism about it. But it does, and I, and I understand people's suspicion that those, that, because this is, the, this is the famous refrain of libertarians. When you say, listen, somebody needs to decide how many houses are going to get built in Las Vegas, Nevada this year. It can't be unlimited number of houses. You know, we can't, we can't let that the number of houses built in Las Vegas be determined just by how many houses we can possibly build this year. The libertarians will instantly say, well, who decides? Who gets to decide? How about people who understand the problem? Well, and the implication is that it's someone unqualified. You know, the implication is that that decision is going to be made by, by some bureaucrat with a degree in sociology from a local community college who's going to sit there and smirk at them as they give as they decline their building permit you know and that is such a pervasive attitude and it's it's a funny thing when you think about how how politics in 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 America and in a lot of places works where most people's political awareness is at the level of they go to the DMV and they have a bad experience, and it radicalizes them. They become anti-government because they went to the DMV and somebody there was rude to them and charged them what they think is an unfair amount for their tabs. And that's the, that is the depth of their political experience. They, have, they, they don't have any interaction with, with government other than getting pulled over by the cops, having to wait in line at the DMV, and what the guy comes into their yard to read their meter you know that's the extent of their contact and a few negative experiences it radicalizes people for life because they picture congress or they picture the people at at city hall and they imagine it's just a giant dmv full well, of, of of like of like smug lazy people who most of whom probably have an agenda smug lazy people who whether they have an agenda they certainly have tenure they're not mm-hmm. going to get fired they are you know they're part of a they're part of a city union or a government union mm-hmm. and they have that kind of union smugness and so people you know people think when they at, when libertarians ask that question who decides what they're picturing is a dmv and 
what the country needs or what how the way we need to think is well yeah that's a good question who decides and it's not it, it isn't the question isn't answered just by asking it in a sneery way like yeah who decides let's pick somebody you know i mean do we want do we want to basically that's asking do we want another layer of government but it's a but it is a it's a valid question we need we cannot because the mayor has to run around town you know showing up at bake sales and stuff yeah. the mayor does not have the time to sit at a long table with his council of elders and consider these things but every city needs a philosopher you huh. know every city needs a Almost like an, like an existential project manager, like yeah, somebody who, de- can, who can be above. A development czar, mm. because cities are all about development. The question, the question mm-hmm. of cities and the question of America is really a question of development. People own property. They want the right to develop it how they want. But our mutual benefit depends on occasionally people being disappointed because you can't always just do what you want if we're going to have cities that are coherent you know if our Mm -hmm. lives are going to be coherent living together not everybody gets to do exactly what they want all the time and and just one question though as far as development does that also under that rubric you you would also include things like infrastructure upkeep maintenance fixing the sidewalks all that incredibly boring and ridiculously costly stuff that's but th- that all factors into the the development issue right absolutely and there are times and this is the this is the thing about taxes like the the water that we get out of our tap in seattle is coming through pipes that come all the way down from the mountains <laughs> you know hundreds of miles these pipes and they were laid a hundred years ago or more, by teams of men with shovel shovels and donkeys, and some of these pipes, I swear to you, are made out of cedar. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You're making that up. There are water. There are giant water mains in Washington State that are made out of cedar. Wow. And then a lot of them that are made out of iron and and whatever else. And at a certain point. You need, you're going to need to modernize those systems. You know, when, we, when, when I bought this house, when my mom bought her house, one of the first things we did was we dug up the rusting old iron water main that went out to the street and replaced it with a, with a new, you know, um, sadly, PVC water main. But we only went out to the street. The water main that runs under the sidewalk is... Whose responsibility? It's only the city's. And as you follow that back to the giant, you know, the cedar tube that you could run a super train through that is buried basically under the street two blocks from my house. Um, what do you do when that, when, a, when that springs a leak? You know, it isn't, you cannot, you cannot talk about taxes. You can't talk about development without understanding that, 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 that all of our cities are built they were built at a time when a guy with a cigar and a handlebar mustache said, <laughs> build a pipe, do it. And people did it. He did not have to get, he did not have to get approval from seven different city agencies because they didn't exist yet. But now when that thing, when that thing 
fails. It's all of our responsibility. And, and more to the point, like, what do we, I mean, this is the public transit question. It's like, we're not building public transit for now. We never are. We're mm-hmm. always building public transit for 40 years from now. And it has to be kind of, as they say in tech, forward compatible. Right. And if you, if you, if you put it up to a public referendum and you say, hey, everybody out there, take, take a second, like mute your televisions for a second, and let's think about what this city's going to look like in 40 years and how transit is going to interact with it. Who, who even mutes their television? No, nobody does. They're all like, huh, what? Who? <laughs> somebody has to be looking at that and, and, and making, and somebody has to be looking at that empowered to make decisions because we have people looking at it. We have transit committees who look at it and they're like, well, this is what we have to do, but they're not empowered. They, all they can do is kind of limp forward with their project and try and convince the, the, the 4% of the population that reads the newspaper still, and then just hope that the rest of the people are too confused to read the ballot initiative properly. But, I, I mean, mean that's, that's why so many have... ballot initiatives are, are phrased so convolutedly, like, vote yes on no to the mm-hmm. yes project. To the double negative act. And the funny part is you can, when you watch like the, um, the local, you know, planning meetings or anything like that on, on those weird uh, cable stations. I sadly do. Yeah. I see this is, I, I'm I really, I, I'd like to come back to this. I would like to consider nominating you to be the, the czar. For, for these things i'd like you to think about that a little bit <laughs> well i mean <laughs> clearly you need the, here's the thing like in england right you've got a queen and you've got a prime minister mm-hmm. i think you, they they i think you know what i mean you got somebody who's there for the ceremonial stuff you might even say that the prime minister of england is a little bit of a queen Ooh, <laughs> no, so, no, no you, you didn't, didn't. <laughs> <laughs> You um, but then uh, you know you got somebody who's there to make the tube run on time. Yeah, and and then you need a you need a czar. You know what I mean? But yeah, I um. Well, this is why Bloomberg has been such a successful mayor of New York. Hmm. Is that Bloomberg? Bloomberg has enough has had enough success running that city, and with enough like innovative ideas. That he, despite the fact that he's a Republican in an overwhelmingly Democratic city, people have embraced him. And despite the fact that he is a little imperial, people are like, yeah, okay, but he, you know, he's he's doing some pretty cool stuff. And so people give him the leeway. This whole, like, outlawing soda pops that are bigger than 16 ounces thing, um, whoever, not even Giuliani would have would have attempted such a such a nanny state initiative, mm-hmm. but but Bloomberg succeeded. Can't you buy? Can't you buy two? Precisely. Yes, you can buy two. You can carry around a thirty-two ounce cup and buy two sixteen ounce pops. That'd be the green way to do it. That is the you know that's hacking the that's how hacking <laughs> Kobayashi Maru, my friend. <laughs> you know when I think when I. New York is one of those places when I stand there and I imagine it, when I look at the geography of Manhattan Island and I imagine what if New York was built like London? What if New York was built like it originally was, which was twisty, windy streets that conform to the more or less to the geography of the land? 
Can you imagine Manhattan Island without the crisscrossing right angle boulevards? If if Manhattan had just been developed like London, just goat trails and twisting little roads. I mean, you could say, oh, it wouldn't have prospered like it has, but London has prospered. Mm-hmm. London is a major city of the world, and there are not two streets running parallel in the entire city. Um, what if New York had not been gridded? You try to imagine the try to imagine the city that same way, or uh, you know, like because because the geography of New York is is pretty interesting. Certainly, as you move up the island, mm-hmm. if you had little twisty, windy. Uh, that skyline would sure look different. And I, oh, I, I don't sure know. Would. I can't tell you why, but I also imagine there'd be just fewer skyscrapers in general. Yeah, there would but, be. If for no other reason, then it would be really hard to close off this, you know, s- you know, uh, seven eighths of the circle ish area. <laughs> uh-huh. And the six block area is going to be closed for a while because we're doing this. The crane goes here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, well, there'd be. It wouldn't be a skyscraper city. It would look like Greenwich Village, the whole place. Mm. Um, but. Every once in a while when I'm there, I'll stop in Union Square or something and try and try and hover and get the get the long view and uh be like, Wow, wouldn't that be That'd be that so be, weird. It would it would seem so, so much less metropolitan. Yeah, although London does not lack metropolitanity. Yeah, but it's weird in my head that grid is uh well i've been in new york like maybe four times but it's new york city but like that that gridness that george gershwin you know kind of like gridness is is what it feels like it is yeah no it's 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 just a it's just a fantasy fantasy thinking because of course like it, it wouldn't be new york or it wouldn't be the same who would put up with that can you imagine cabbies having to deal with that well that 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 is i mean i've driven i've driven uh in london in the you know, in the center of the city many times over the years. Sounds awful. It is, I mean, it's, it's crazy making and the people that live there, I think even people who have lived there their whole lives still appreciate that it is crazy. Isn't Rome like that too? Isn't Rome pretty crazy to drive in? Well, Rome is crazy to drive in, not just for that reason, but also because the people, (laughs) Yeah, it's in Italy. It's, it is (laughs) driving in Rome is like driving in Cairo. I mean, there's no, there's no other Serbia. way. Serbia. There's no other way to put it. It's just like, hey, atza fatza matza watza, woo, and uh, you know, people driving on the sidewalks, and it's just. I just did a um, Athens. Go- Athens did a, is a thousand times worse. I just did a quick Google Map search on uh, how far away my water is. I just, I just made some seltzer a few minutes ago. At one point, that water was 189 miles away from here. The water that you are drinking in, yeah. in San Francisco. It comes from a place, if, if I drove there, it would take me four hours to get to where my water comes from. Yeah. Think about how long it takes the water to make that trip. It's like the sun or something. For some reason, um, I, you know, so there's a thread that runs through a lot of what you're saying, I think, which is that most of us don't really understand how the sausage gets made. Yeah. You and know, we yet don't understand. we stand on our soapboxes and scream at each other. I mean, people were screaming at me on Twitter yesterday. Well, because, because they've been to the DMV. That's all that, that is the metonymy. That's yeah. like, all they need is the nose. That's all they need to understand everything about how government works is this surly woman with lots of, uh, you know, longevity performance badges who, mm-hmm. who's not going to do something that seems very simple to you for you. Right. 
That's emblematic. That becomes the whole thing then, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And it is, and it's a question of you get your tax bill <clears throat> and it seems unfair. And you go, that's not right. And that is the depth of your analysis. Like the tax bill seems unfair and it's not right because that money is being wasted. And now I am outraged. And no one... It is so unusual that a person, even a even a liberal who's like, well, I pay my taxes happily, you know, investigating exactly how your tax money is spent and on what is fascinating. And you get to the point where you're like, my tax bill came. What am I going to find? You know, what what am I going to discover in it now? You know, there are so and there there is plenty of waste for sure in government. But. They're trying to do so much, you know, government is trying to do so much. And if all you have to do is go to a place like Bulgaria, where the government is trying to do a lot of things and not 100% making it happen, not penetrating all the little places, you know, and you're, you're walking around a city and you're like... I mean, this is a thing that no one in America has ever experienced. But if you are in Eastern Europe and walking down the street, you you see missing manhole covers. Right. Yeah. You know, well, why do you never see that in America? Because that, if a manhole cover went missing, it would be replaced in, in two seconds. There is no such thing as a missing manhole cover. Even in America, even in, even in the most bombed out city here, there is enough government to keep that from happening. And or like like you wouldn't just drive off like if they were building or like repairing some part of the highway you would never just drive off an op like of an off ramp that just right. stopped in midair right right there's, I forgot it to put up with the sign uh. <laughs> yeah there's always I mean and, and the other day my mom was driving down the street and they're building they're building some public transit here in Seattle that was conceived by committee approved approved by a committee that was trying to appeal to 15 different constituencies so that there is not there was not a very good idea like if you look at the town you look at how it's going to develop over the next 40 years the train should have gone xyz but they put the train in you know xpl because they had to go by p because that's the hospital and that's a big constituency you have to go have the train go by the hospital and you know and it would be too difficult to to turn the train around over here. Anyway, they they are building what is what is a good thing, and they're building it in a dumb way because there wasn't somebody with the power sitting in the big chair to say it's got to go here. I'm sorry if that disappoints people, but mm-hmm. really, this is how this is how it should look. Anyway, so they're building this thing, and so they've got the streets all torn up, and there's traffic backed up for two miles along Broadway, and my mom is sitting at this traffic light, and there's a cop there. And the cop is ostensibly directing traffic. But the cop's got one hand in his pocket. And he's just kind of standing there like a dope. And every once in a while, somebody gets in the wrong lane or has his turn signal on in a way the cop doesn't like. And the cop kind of, you know, will yell at, yell at a guy like, keep moving or something like that. But my mom looks at that cop and what she sees in his place is a vigorous traffic directing police officer 
who's like, come on, let's go, let's go. You know, one of those guys that you see in Manhattan where he's got a whistle in his, just clenched in his teeth the but whole like the, time. The model, the model of clarity. This guy who's like, I'm in charge of this intersection. If nothing else, if nothing else in my life, if my wife doesn't love me, if my kids don't listen to me, I am in charge of this fucking intersection right now. And I want <laughs> you to go now. Go now. You. Tweet. Go. You. Now. Go. Go. Okay. Stop. Now. You. Go. 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 And what that intersection needed, what the city of Seattle needed in that moment was that cop. The cop who had a whistle in his teeth and he right. was... He owned that intersection. But not, not so different from the attitude of a, of a fireman who's getting out of, getting you out of the building next to the one that's burning. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you know what I yeah, mean? That I kind of clarity think, of like... thinking ahead. Like, uh, everybody else in here is going to be thinking about what's going on and what they're going to have for dinner. And I'm going to stand here, and every one of you is going to, in an orderly way, you're all going to go through that door and get out of here alive. Go, let's go, go, let's go, go, let's go, go, let's go, let's go, go, go. And... I don't have time to explain this to you. <laughs> so my mom is sitting at this intersection and she's looking at this cop and she's like, the city isn't working. The government isn't working. And, you know, my mom has, has a long view, but her relationship to the police department in Seattle is, is, very, is very much like, hmm. um, my mom is very, uh, she sends a lot of anonymous angry letters. <laughs> To the East Precinct. <laughs> oh, so she's she's got her own own little bitter Rolodex of exactly who it should go to. She takes people's badge numbers. Oh God, I respect that. And she writes down. So cop she actually cars does it. She follows plates. through. She follows through. Oh yeah, yeah. She's got a whole plan. She's not. She doesn't let the cops off the hook at all. But so she's sitting at this intersection. She, she, she's like, "What the fuck is wrong with this cop? What is wrong with the culture of the police department that this police person does not have the?" does not have the the uh, energy to actually be directing traffic here. And she's looking up the street and looking down the street and she's like this is affecting this is going to affect traffic in Seattle all day because it has it's having a it's having a a uh, reverberative effect all through the town. And it's all on this guy who's <laughs> who is taking a laissez-faire attitude to his job here, you know. And 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 honestly if I was that cop supervisor and drove through there and there was nobody blocking the intersection and nobody lying dead on the street, you know, you go, yeah, he's doing his job, but he's not, he's not doing, he's not really doing the job. But, but you think about all these guys that came, that came, came to Seattle today to drop off a bale of hay at somebody's kitty ride and they're driving a dually diesel Dodge pickup truck and they're headed back out to their ranch in Yakima and they're waiting at this intersection and you know I, I, I hear these people talk all the time they're like I'd never live in Seattle hell no all those you know it's just a bunch of they're just a bunch of animals mm -hmm. and that's that guy's that's that guy's experience of Seattle that's Sitting his file card like, he's got a he, file card yeah he's watching he's watching that cop mm -hmm. and he thinks this is bullshit and he is and his vote counts the same as mine about whether Seattle gets the tax money to put in high-speed public transit or to replace our water mains. And he's sitting out there, you know, in the same county I live in, but he's going, well, you know, that money's just wasted. Who decides? It's just some, it's just some bureaucrat. Well, 
Yeah, you're you're onto something. That it's a it's a theory I've been trying to bubble around in my head for a while, and this is nothing particularly new or unique. But I think in an example like that, uh, it's that is pretty close to a template for how millions of interactions go down every day. And you could certainly see the results of this on the internet. Once you're aware of this pattern, listeners, you you may see this more. So. You know, it's 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 kind of a um, a shadow of like how cognitive behavioral therapy works in some ways, but in a more like awful and distorted way. Something happens in the world, and that could be let's so you know you're at the DMV and you don't like this person's attitude. I'm at the Safeway and I don't like that the person is talking about my groceries. Somebody is displeased with how that particular person is or is not directing traffic. And the, one of the very first things that happens is you see something happening and you go straight to having a very strong emotion about it. Mm-hmm. And, and let's be honest that, that you know, let, let's just even say that maybe that person's not working optimally or not working to the spec, or let's just say for the sake of argument that it just didn't go as well as it could. Mm-hmm. Great example, customer service people, mm-hmm. right? You, you call up and, and something was broken. Your, uh, you know, your Superman doll is not as well articulated as it said in the ad and you okay. call this person and, and, and you're furious, but something happened. You get a really strong emotion about it uh, that you maybe you can't shake, and it just feels like it's not a very long. There might be other steps in this, but to me, there's not a very long leap from for most people from something happened. I have a feeling to this will have an impact on society. Right, right. To to right. like, I suddenly I have such a, and I think part of it comes out of this impotent feeling that that maybe you're a libertarian who thinks that you should only you know pay for one road that everybody uses lightly or whatever it is. Maybe you you know what I mean. But whoever you are, whatever your political affiliation, I honestly think that most of us it starts with an emotion. It doesn't start with going to a planning meeting or a zoning meeting and understanding. It doesn't start with understanding that maybe that guy's cat, maybe the traffic cop's cat died that day. Yeah, you know, it, it, I'm not trying to be too too flimsy about this but but what's funny is that the people who get the most worked up and become these people who are like you see with the the what you call it the tweet storms or the twitter bombs like the people who get involved in that stuff it really just started because they're mad that their luggage wasn't there yeah you know and and you know to quote barry barry sobel like well what do you want me to do you want me to you want me to just uh you want me to just pick pick up the airport and shake it till your bags fall out you know (laughs) i'm i'm here and you know what dude i'm the baggage guy and i'm fucking here to help you you're not going to meet another person here that is that with your attitude you're never going to meet anybody more sympathetic than me my yeah. job is to try and help help you but I, I i am not god i i can't change the way that a huge broken system works and you're yelling at me is not helping yeah. and then going on twitter and yelling about it is going to help even less cuz even well, if you get a lynch bob mob it's not going to change the denver airport and this is the this is the this is the the thing that has affected the the tenor of our national conversation. The idea that property rights is a thing that you would shout at somebody is, I mean, there is no more. This is like your, your farmers, your farmers who, who want, who want to have, even if they don't want to build a skyscraper, they want the right to build a skyscraper. Well, yeah. And people shout this now who do not, who do not own any property. Property rights has become a kind of... It's the what's wrong with Kansas problem. It's like, it's, you know, people like my mom who have the values of an extremely, extremely right-wing Republican and none of the assets to back it up. Yeah, right. And property that's the, rights is that's the there, money they want. There are no two more personal words in American politics because property rights is it's it's it 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 is an expression of people's feeling that they do not have any power over their they don't have autonomy. They don't have power over their environment. Well, they they they've got the ownership that that God has granted them as an American, but they don't have the rights that should come with that, right? Well, or or 
or what they don't see. I mean, the thing is, I have tremendous sympathy for municipal governments because I because my people were always in government. My uncle was a was a uh, the mayor of Anchorage. My dad was on the legislature. My grand uncle was a city councilman. You know, the, I come from these people, and I recognize and I and I and and I'm friends with the local government here in Seattle, and I like talking about government. And so I hear from them their frustrations, and they're not expressed as frustrations. They're just like, this is my job. It's very hard for me to go to a meeting where I am saying, for, the, for everyone's benefit, we need to keep the side of this hill forested, otherwise landslides Mm-hmm. will take all the soil off down into the river and we will have floods and it will be a natural disaster. And I'm saying this to the five guys who own that hillside and they own that land. Some of them have owned that land for 80 years. And whether they ever intended to cut those trees down, mm-hmm. their powerful desire to not be told what to do with that land is deafening them. And if you don't have sympathy for those guys who own that hillside, you're crazy because you have to have sympathy for them. If that was my land, I would feel the same way. If that was my land, I would be at that meeting and I would be like, God damn you, property rights. You can't tell me that I can't chop down these trees. You know, and and show me the report. Show me the science that mm-hmm. says that this, you know, you don't know for sure, guy, that the landslides are going to happen. Like all this, and it's it's analogous to global warming. It's analogous to every one of our national problems. There is a there is some personal. There's a guy at the heart of every one of those that has a personal feeling that you shouldn't be able to tell him what to do. But the city, the guy whose job it is to keep that from happening, and it's not his job isn't to protect his ass. You know, and this is the other negative version of government is that the guy's just trying to protect his ass. That if the landslide happens, then he's going to be on the hook for it, and that's his motivation. Like if the government spent more money on landslide remediation, they've got the budget. Why don't they take care of that instead of picking my pocket? Yeah, or, or there's a million permutations of it. But most people that were working in government aren't trying to protect their ass that way, or at least at the high levels. They're trying to look 40 years down the road. And, and yet they have tremendous sympathy for, this per- for these people who own that property. But their hands are tied. And... You cannot you cannot go to a meeting like that and come away from it feeling like there isn't there's any kind of elegant solution because you're never going to convince those five guys and they are going to yell and they are going to say they're going to say crazy things to you mm-hmm. about because you are taking you are taking from them and it's in that case you, you uh, again I don't know if it's next gear metonymy you are the government that person who's standing up there delivering that bad news they may not even have had that much of a say in yeah is any, the government. They're yeah. the government, and, and their inability to do anything about it makes them even more hateable. Yeah, and what's, what's incredible about our country right now is that those five guys who own that hillside covered with trees have convinced 50% of the country to be just as mad as they are about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, 50% of the country, the whole town now is mad about whether or not these guys should be allowed to cut down those trees. And create an inevitable mudslide that 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 blocks the river, and 
you know, and there are people saying, show us the report. And there are people saying property rights above all. And there are people saying who decides. And then there's the, you know, then there's the, the government that's like, well, shit, you guys, seriously, do you, do you really, do I have to show you that every time this has happened before, do I have to show you? I mean, come on. Right. We we need to just make this decision, and it's got to get made. And I'm so sorry. you you have sympathy for those people, but you also say, what do you think is the proper amount of evidence that they should have presented to them? Like you know, you're you're a pretty skeptical guy. You don't like yeah. being ripped off. Well, how do you? So when the club owner says, "I'm you know, I agree to pay you this much," or let's even say this, like, I don't know how I can't give you a good example without you finding a great loophole. But let's say they want to give you less than you expected. Like, what is the evidence that you would accept? To oh, it's the show? same. It's the same in every aspect. If somebody, you know, I I know a lot of people. If somebody on Twitter writes them re- re- responds to one of their tweets and says, "Fuck you, you don't know what you're talking about," that they just block that person immediately uh, because they just they they don't need that in their lives. For me, if somebody writes me a tweet (laughs) that says, fuck you, you don't know what you're talking about, I always reply. Can I block those people for you so you don't even have to see them, John? I always reply because 25% of the time, there was a guy yesterday who listened to our podcast on depression uh, and wrote me a tweet. I swear to you, Merlin, Hmm. wrote me a tweet that said, fuck you, exclamation point. Depression is easy to cure. You just have to try. Fuck you. Mm. That's that sounds like trolling. Who knows what it was? But I mean, but, I, do you think a person believed that? Well, so I so the thing is, if I had blocked him, I would never know. So what I wrote him was, "Gee, sounds like you've really got depression under control." Like. Good on, you know, you, you sound super healthy. Which is sarcastic, but also an opportunity for this person to stop and think about what they just did. And this morning I wake up and I have a tweet from this guy going, I apologize. That was rude. I have, I've deleted that tweet and I'm embarrassed that I've become tweet delete guy. Uh, and I had no, there was, I had no right to talk to you that way. That happened when I was in Seattle too. You got, you got somebody deleted a tweet to you. Yeah. And so that right there is the amount of due diligence that I think anybody is owed because there are all kinds of people out there who are going to say, what? Fuck you. No. Uh And if you say, yeah, okay. You sound like you're a little mad now. Do you want to talk about it? You hate when people say that to you. I do because I because I I always think about how mad I am. <laughs> but but you give them that chance, and if they if they come back and say, "Oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm so embarrassed," then you know that you're dealing with the at, at least the beginning of a reasonable person. If their response to that is "fuck you," then they're blocked and you know and if they're if you if you do that in a city council meeting and they say fuck you you know my feeling is you have you have shown them all the reports you need to show them right uh, but that is not how necessarily a democracy works that is how super train works mm. everybody as super train plows across the land everybody will get a chance to read the report 
but they're going to get one chance to read it. It seems like a lot of people will understand it on the face of it. People Uh, understand a crane. (laughs) A claw. People people understand a claw on a train. (laughs) It's just something you understand. Uh, Even illiterate people, even people who don't speak English are going to see the claw on the train coming. And they're going to go, I get this. I get this. Is it, I mean, it is a certainly, maybe not in a national sense, but it will involve a certain kind of eminent domain. Oh, absolutely. Am I understanding it a little? <laughs> the name of Super Train is, is eminent domain. It's going to be written across the front of the engine in script. Eminent so the, domain. In big letters so they can see it coming? Yeah, it's flashing. Oh, it's, Christ. It's flash. Here comes the eminent domain. Eminent domain has arrived, and the claw <laughs> is... The, the claw is choosing which houses, which forested hills. Yeah, it's like it's from, a, from a distance, claw. you can hear. You can just feel the claw is just warming up. You can hear it getting closer and closer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. I'm in the domain. Um, hmm. Hmm. I, I, uh, this is uh, probably running too long. But I, um, yeah. yeah I, think, I think that was probably good. Yeah, well, I had, a, I had a good anecdote. Oh, what was it? No, it's not important. Doesn't no, matter. I want to I hear an anecdote. No, you know, it's for your me, show. For me, It's your show. Well, I, um, I, I, uh, I'm trying to grow as a person. You can cut job. all this out. Yeah, or I could leave it all in. I'm the editor. I'm the decider. I'm, I'm the eminent domainer. That's true. In this sense, in, the, in this show, you are absolutely the mayor. I'm, See, I'm I, not the ma- I'm not I'm so not the mayor of the Oh, podcast. not the mayor. Okay, you are the you are the city bureaucrat. I'm the rock and roll county executive of the uh, <laughs> podcast. I admire your work and I have yeah. a limited amount of power. Yeah. But um you exercise it with You you probably I bet you need to go, right? Firm hand. No, uh, but I want to hear your anecdote. Oh no, it's, I'll save it. I'll save it for another show. It's just no, no, it's no, no, it's just I'm not trying to deny you. It's just something Rupals. that uh, has become for me I don't know why, but I, I keep coming up with this, these things that used to happen to me that are, that are, make me sympathetic to the people who are getting yelled at when they're trying to help you. You know uh-huh. what I mean? And it's, and I don't know, to me, it, it sums up a lot of what you're talking about. And, and this is, you know, I, you know, when we first met, I was doing web development and project management as, as my livelihood. And I've been doing that since 1995. And when I started doing that in 1995, um, part of my job in some ways was, was educating people about why the fuck they would want a website and what is the internet. I mean, to be right. honest, there were a lot of people who didn't, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money from it, but nevertheless, you know, they would, they would sooner try and get an AOL keyword than they would try to get a website. Like why I don't have that. I don't look at those. Why would anybody else? And that got easier over time, but the opacity of how internet technology works, which is something I am certainly not the master of that stuff, but I, I will tell you that, that most of the people I work with were hiring me because of the tiny bit of expertise I had in basically talking to them, figuring out what they wanted, turning it into a graphical website, and then using um, basic FTP technology to put it onto a web server where people could get to it. And that's what my job was. My, my job was to try and make a graphical design for a website and then put it up. Right. And then they look at it in their browser and then maybe, you know, emails get sent through a, a little Perl script uh, form so they can, they can form people that people can use to send them email and so forth. But there's a funny thing that, that, that happens. And actually, there's a wonderful Tumblr called Clients from Hell that covers a lot of these kinds of stories. But w- one thing that used to happen to me a surprising amount of the time was that I would get a call from a client, often a client that hadn't been a client for several months, 
And they would say things like, uh, and anybody who's ever done this for a living is already nodding because this happens all the time. So people will call me up and they say, I can't get to my website. Okay, you can't get to your website. Is it? And I would say, well, it's, I'm, I'm, I can see it from here. And they're saying, no, it's not up. I, nothing is coming up. Well, um, and you see where this is going. So basically, in order for them to not feel like I'm a dick, I would have to trace through whether their computer was on, whether they were in a web browser, um, whether whether um, whether their uh, Ethernet cable was plugged in, John, whether <laughs> what, you know whether their ISP was down, and so you know. Wh- whereas they hired me to make them a website and put it up, and who knows, maybe I framed that badly. Now I'm the one who has to tell them whether their Hayes modem is configured configured correctly with the right codes and and ampersands in order to get a signal, or I'm the one trying to tell them their credit card expired on AOL, or I'm the one explaining that they're using a five-year-old web browser, or or I'm the one telling them that because they're at their brother-in-law's house on a different size screen that has the color all fucked up, that's you're seeing something that's really screwed up. And I don't have the ability to do anything about any of that, but now I'm the dick. Like I, I, you know, the thing was I'm accessible. Like you knew how to call me or you knew how to email me. I was gracious enough to talk to you, even though your check dinner didn't clear maybe two years ago. But you know, I, I always felt in a, in a really funny and frustrated position because there's nothing I could say to that person that didn't sound like me making a bunch of excuses. Right. All I know is I can't get to my website. Well, I, I, you know, we can. All I can really tell you is that it that doesn't have anything to do with the website that I made. Well, then why did I pay you $107 to make me a website? Well, and, and, and <laughs> right. that, that might sound really, really extreme, but, but when I think about that person at the, DMV, at the DMV, or I think about that person, you think about the fireman who's yeah. trying to get firefighter, who's trying to get people out of that building, you know, to explain how it is that the peculiar interaction of oxygen and heat with the air that causes wood in particular to be a particularly inflammable and that buildings are made out of wood. Like to, to have to explain all that when they're going, why are you being such a screaming asshole? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm being a screaming asshole because I'm the screaming asshole who might save your life. Right. And by the same token, if they went to the firefighter and said, why, are, why isn't there a stoplight by Southgate Mall? He could say, well, A, I don't have anything to do with stoplights, even though I'm technically in the quote unquote government. And yeah. B, get your fucking ass out of the building. Yeah. And I think, I think that the, 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 the interesting part of that, if there is an interesting part, is that for my clients that I had, and these are the kinds of clients who, you know, there's things like you would see classic stories, you know, the old jokes about people who put their drink in the CD holder, the people who touch the mouse, uh, the screen with their mouse, the people who th- always go to Yahoo to search for websites. Everybody's got these. Everybody in my family who's older than my age double clicks links. They double-click every link. And I tell them, you, you know, you don't need to double-click that. You just need to click that once. So I'm the asshole, right? <laughs> but my, my point being that, that it isn't like we have to understand everything about how a computer works. But yeah. it would be nice to understand enough in that case to know who to call and whether it's helpful to yell at anybody. Yeah. And and that's what I feel like when I when – the point, only tiny point I was trying to make about the whole like – the people who show up at those meetings. Well, like for example, I'm pals with the guy who's our merchant 
association liaison for our neighborhood. The, uh-huh. And and basically, the only people who show up for anything, it's like this handful of Chinese ladies with an agenda. And they're uh-huh. like, I'll take care of that. I'll do that. I'll do that. Because they know that there's so... There's there's so much stuff that could be done, but they're going to make sure that the only stuff that gets done is the stuff that benefits them. Nobody right. else is going to those meetings, but it isn't until there's you know 35 uh, bubble drink places and, and 75 Verizon stores that people go, wow, our neighborhood's getting kind of weird. And it's if everybody if everybody showed up and followed everything, they'd go to all of those meetings and they'd learn to understand how that works. But that's the downside of uh, the way that a system like ours works: is that the bigger it gets, the more moving parts there are, the harder it is to understand. And and, and to the, the general point that the more abstraction there is between that messenger who had to bring that unhappy message to the hill people, and the and the the myriad number of this of connections in this fucked up game of telephone that ever led to that meeting occurring in the first place, and so you know I I, I take the larger point about like people and their you know I just think this is a basic human problem that we could all be better at on a personal level, which is understanding that the person who picks up the phone and is willing to listen to you complain is not necessarily the person who's to blame for your tax bill. Yeah. And, and, you know, the government, when you say the government, like what, not you, but like, what the fuck does that mean? That's like, that's like saying you blame the universe. I mean, the government is, you know, people in that aid vehicle who pick you up off the street, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's the people working at Hetch Hetchy that, that bring me my water. It's, you know, it, it just belies such a, it is time for a czar. It's time for somebody to either explain this process to people in a way that they can't control or get away from or to make it not matter anymore and bring a claw into it. That's the yeah. only solution because I think people are basically emotionally driven by these things and that emotion quickly turns into like what this means about the universe. And, and, and then when you try to make public policy based on that, you're going to have a total clusterfuck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if that farmer stopped for a minute and said, oh, okay, does it really matter if I want a skyscraper? Well, yeah, yeah, but it's a slippery slope. I've got to protect my, my thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so anyway, I, that's the way I look at it. Cause it's helped me for one thing with being less frustrated when somebody yells at me. Cause I can honestly say to them, look, I, you're, you're trying to solve the wrong problem and you're yelling at the wrong guy. Yeah. Well, like you say, I think the I think the introduction of the concept of abstraction is the key one mm-hmm. because that's the big 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 pattern. As it gets more abstract, what uh, this funny thing happens, which is that people think that they're now dealing with a world of unlimited possibility. Like in in cases where people understand the whole chain of events, they also understand where there where. There's no more you can do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if, you're, if your kid falls through the ice and you're standing on the side of the lake and you're saying, help, help rescue my kid, and the fireman goes, crawls out on the ice and the fireman falls through, at a certain point you understand that no one can rescue your kid. Because you watched it, you watched the fireman crawl out on the ice and fall through. And there's nothing, there, you know, there isn't any magic that you can bring to bear on this situation. And so if your kid drowns in, in, in that lake, you have a certain amount of, there's no one to blame. You know, the kid just fell through the ice and the fireman really? tried in, to rescue him. In, in that moment. In that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for the rest of your life, you have a kind of peace with it where you're like, I was there. I saw it all happen. 
I understand that that my kid couldn't be rescued. But if you are standing, if your kid falls through the ice and there's a fire truck there with a giant uh, crane, <laughs> and you say, "Help my kid," and the fireman says, "The crane isn't rated to be extended that far." Oh yeah. Then it is still true, just as true that they that they have no technology that can reach your kid, but you don't understand anymore. You know, and and even though the fireman knows if he extends the crane that far, the whole fire truck's gonna tip over into the lake. But being unable to demonstrate. Oh, so he had, that he had a reason. I'm sorry. So, but he, he had a reason to say, look, lady, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I would love to help you in any way I can. But if I do that, 10 people might die. Right. But now there's this abstraction of the crane and what its load limit is and what, how far you can extend it and what the possibilities are that introduces the concept that maybe if he had just done it, it would have worked. Mm-hmm. And so then when your kid drowns, you're full of resentment. You're full. You, you lay you lay awake at night and think, why didn't they just extend the crane? Why didn't they just take that risk? And you see this in your computer in your computer world. The less people know about computers, the more they actually think anything can happen. That you can just touch it with your elbow and it suddenly starts working because that's what it looks like to them. Mm-hmm. So they get mad at you. They get disproportionately mad and frustrated with the, with, you know, inversely proportionate to the amount of understanding they have about how a thing works. And you're sitting there going, listen, you're just asking me to do something that does not, that is not. And you just nailed that. That's, that's, that's two abstractions that duel. You exactly nailed it though. That's two completely, not paradoxical, but contrast, maybe paradoxical. On the one hand, these fucking computers don't work. And then on the other hand, what the fuck? These compu- computers are supposed to be able to do everything. Right. And, if, and maybe you're making the same point, but you're, not, not you, but, but, but they're really – you're kind of saying different things. You're saying on the one hand, I knew this thing was bullshit. Like I know this government is, is crooked and screwed up and, all, and, and, and isn't doing it, but oh my god, the government should be able to do this. It's the government and they've got right. all that money. Right. <laughs> and they're both, those are both those are both you know could, could be potentially true. Yeah, and, it's, and you're absolutely right. It is, it is people saying like – Already, I know that government doesn't work because if government worked, we would all be living in undersea cities by now. Mm-hmm. You know, if government worked, why would there be why? <laughs> why are there poor people? Eisenhower would have made an Atlantis years ago. Yeah, we should be, we should all be living in Atlantis, and the fact that we're not means the government doesn't work. And it's like, <laughs> do you really not understand the government is people? Yeah, <sighs> fucking people. Fucking people.